From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Kendall Seesmeyer. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm your host. On Friday, June 24th, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and with it, the constitutional right to an abortion. In the immediate, we spoke with our legal experts, Louise Melling, Jen Dalvin, and Rita Tepico-Marr, about the opinion and the legal concerns ahead. Check out that episode. It's called Post Row. The Supreme Court Won't Stop at Abortion. And it's worth a listen if you missed it. But today, we are doing something a little different. We're talking with Jessica Ahrens, Senior Policy Counsel for the ACLU, about all the different avenues that we as individuals can explore when trying to plug in and do something to help. We know it's confusing. There's a lot of information out there. It's also so easy to feel dejected and disempowered. It's understandable to feel like our efforts won't matter when there is so much that we are up against. But we need you in this fight. So today, we're going to walk through the different avenues that you can use to fight back, whether that's through voting, donating, volunteering, or just talking with your loved ones. You'll want to share this episode with your people. With that, Jessica, welcome to At Liberty. Thank you for having me, Kendall. We're so pleased to have you. So a lot has happened. There's a lot to process since the Friday decision. I personally, and we at the ACLU have received countless messages from people asking, what can I do to help? What is the best way? And I think this is a time where people feel really hopeless, but it's also a time when we have to step up and we have to fight back. So it felt crucial to get some resources out there for folks and let them know how to get involved. I want to start with voting. And my caveat to this is that I know that there's been a lot of discussion of oh, we need to vote. Well, we voted and we don't feel like anything's getting done with the votes that we've already cast. So people are feeling a little bit, you know, perhaps hesitant to just lean on voting. I certainly understand the sentiment and I feel it to some extent myself. And I would say that voting is necessary, but not sufficient. And so voting is important to do, not just at the federal level, not just in presidential campaigns, but also in midterms and also down the ballot. You really need to be focusing and paying attention to what's happening at the state and local level, um, because that is especially now where our rights are going to be decided on so many things. And so who we vote into office at the state level is going to make a difference. I want to talk about voting in the context of ballot initiatives. Can you explain what ballot initiatives are and what abortion-related ballot initiatives we are working on at the ACLU? With ballot measures, that really is something where voters have a direct say in the law's that are adopted in their state. Um, they, you take out the middleman. It's not about voting for a politician who then you have to rely on to carry through on their promises. It is something where the voters have their say directly. And so a ballot measure is something that can either be uh, a statute or it can be a, a constitutional amendment. And we have four constitutional amendments that affect abortion rights that we're um, involved in at the uh, National ACLU and on our state affiliates. So in Michigan and in Vermont, efforts are underway to enshrine the right to reproductive freedom into those state constitutions, and that would protect abortion and other reproductive freedoms for the long haul. 
kind of regardless of what happens in DC. And in Michigan, they are collecting signatures right now to qualify for the ballot so that this question can be put before voters this November. And in Vermont, that measure has already been confirmed for the ballot and voters there will see it this November. Similarly, or really conversely, we have two measures we are fighting to defeat in Kansas and in Kentucky that would take the right to abortion out of those state constitutions and not allow the courts in the state to protect the right to abortion and to protect our other freedoms in those states. The first one is going to be on the primary in August in Kansas. And so on August 2nd, Kansans will be voting on this question. This is really the first test after the Dobbs decision comes down, where we will hear from voters directly on the right to abortion. And then a similar measure will be voted on in Kentucky this November. So one clarifying question for you on ballot measures. If a state is to enshrine abortion access into their constitution through a ballot measure or say they've already done that, does that protect the people living in that state from a national abortion ban should that be passed? So unfortunately, it does not. Um, Under the federal preemption clause, that means that federal law takes priority over state law, even when it's in the state constitution. So if abortion opponents got control of Congress and the White House and were able to pass a national ban, that would take priority over the state laws, whether they're in the constitution or statutory. And that's an unfortunate reality. And it's certainly part of the anti-abortion agenda. They have not tried to hide it, that they are working on their plans to try to pass a national ban. And so that means that ultimately no one is safe. That said, it's very important to pass these protections on the state level where possible, because I still think it will take a while for them to get to the point where they might have enough power to pass a nationwide ban. And in that time, we want to do everything possible to protect the right to abortion and access to care in the states where we can. And naturally, we will do everything in our power also to resist a nationwide ban and and not let that actually come to fruition. There is one election that I think often doesn't get talked about very much, and that is state court judges. So state courts are going to be flooded with litigation, requiring them to rule on access to abortion. And in states where judges are elected, educating yourself on the views of the judges that are up for election is now critical. With midterms coming up, are there any particular ways that we can recommend people understand what a state judge A does and B, whether or not those candidates are going to be favorable towards abortion access? Yeah, thank you. Now, state Supreme Court races are very important in the states where those judges are elected by the people. The reason that the ballot measures I mentioned are important and amending state constitutions are important is because federal law is a floor, not a ceiling. And so that means that states can go above and beyond uh, and offer more protections to their state residents than we have under federal law. And so the state Supreme Courts that are interpreting their state constitutions are also critical pieces of that because they are the ones who are going to be opining on what the state constitution does and does not protect. 
And so you want to make sure that there are people on the bench who believe in civil liberties and are going to come out the right way when cases come before them. I think we just saw that happen at the federal level at the Supreme Court. Uh, the interpretation of the Constitution or what's enshrined in the Constitution and what is not is very much up for interpretation oftentimes or could be claimed that it's up for interpretation lots of times. So that's really important to note. The other question I had to ask is about calling your representatives. I think that people oftentimes get that direction, that directive. You want to make a change, call your representative. Does it work, Jessica? Is that matter? Does it, is it important? Here's what I know. I know that members of Congress, their staff calculate the number of calls they get on an issue and whether people are calling in in favor of or in opposition to a certain position. Um, and they count the emails and all the other messages they receive. And, you know, it's it's hard to know how that factors, how much that factors into each member's decision and how they vote. But I do continue to believe that um, it is an important metric. It's an important way to measure public opinion and that there are members who do still listen and they especially want to hear from their constituents. And they also will note if they're getting, if it's lopsided, if they're getting more calls from one on one side of the issue than the other. Um, and so I do think it is still one of the tools we have available. I will say that at the state level, I think it's even more impactful that when you're calling your state legislators, they are much more attuned to what their constituents want um, because it's a smaller pool often than maybe uh, what federal lawmakers are responding to. And so it really can make a difference at the state level. And then, you know, there are different levels of engagement. There's also, you know, having lobby visits, office visits with your members um, whether that's in person or, or virtually. Um, but they, they, they are responsive to constituent meetings and contacts. Okay. Yes. Thank you. We've talked about voting. I want to talk about donations. And so there are a variety of really valuable places to put your money if that's how you want to engage. One of those ways is through what we call abortion funds. I was wondering if you could just start by explaining what are abortion funds and what role do they play in the, the tapestry of reproductive organizations? Sure. Well, abortion funds are basically mutual aid organizations. They are a way of showing up in solidarity with people who are seeking abortion care they were created to fill a gap created by the Hyde Amendment, which denied federal Medicaid coverage for abortion care for people enrolled in the Medicaid program. So what they what it meant was that even with Roe in place, you know, someone might have the right to an abortion, but they weren't able to actually access it. That that right wasn't meaningful. Uh, so we often say rights without access are meaningless, and that was the case for so many, even under Roe. And so abortion funds tried to fill that gap and they provide the funding so that people can pay for abortion care when they can't afford to do it out of pocket. Uh, and often abortion funds will also pay for travel and other logistical needs like childcare um, and things like that. And so between abortion funds and practical support organizations, those are the 
that's the infrastructure of the reproductive justice movement that has been put into place over time and is scaling up considerably right now uh, in order to help connect people to the abortion care they need. There are also other kinds of organizations that you can support, whether that is organizations that are actually providing abortion care directly. So providers are working for those organizations, working for those clinics, or organizations that are like the ACLU who are more involved in political advocacy work and litigation efforts. So the ACLU is suing in a bunch of different states to hopefully either delay full abortion bans from happening or to just pry open any small piece of access possible. So currently we are in active litigation in Kentucky, in Florida, and in Texas um, immediately after the decision came down. So those are different kinds of organizations that you can support. And I think I like to think of it or talk about it in a way that everyone plays a bit of a different role, but they all matter in the greater scheme of things. How do you think about this? I think it's an ecosystem. And like you said, everyone plays an important role in that ecosystem. That said, I I think most people know that, you know, Planned Parenthood and ACLU are out there advocating for reproductive rights and freedom. And I want to make sure that people are also aware of the good work being done on the ground in communities by abortion funds, by practical support organizations, by reproductive justice, women of color-led organizations that often aren't as well-resourced, but in many ways are leading the work and really centering patients and their needs. And independent clinics go along with that as well. There is, so the um, Abortion Care Network, ACN, has a campaign called Keep Our Clinics. And that's another place that's great to donate because independent clinics provide the bulk of abortion care in this country. And specifically, they provide the majority of later abortion care, which is going to become an even greater need as people are delayed in making appointments, you know, getting the resources to be able to travel across the country. And so those independent clinics don't have as much of a buffer and really are the the backbone of the abortion care system. There's also some great work being done by an organization called If One How, Lawyering, Lawyering for Reproductive Justice. They have a, le- a repro legal defense fund. So that's another place you can donate. That money can be used, is going to be used for bail and representation of people who are criminalized because of abortion bans. They also have a network of pro bono attorneys who want to be part of a reproductive justice lawyering network. So for the lawyers out there, that's another place to plug in. And they are also establishing a legal defense network. So that's another great opportunity. And we will list the networks that you just mentioned in the description box for people to be able to to go and search and find those smaller community-led organizations that, that really do need their funding. Great. And one last thing I'll say is that monthly donations are even $5 a month are often the best way to support these organizations because it gives them a reliable, predictable income that they know they can, that they'll have, they know at least a minimum amount they'll have coming in every month. So um, again, if that's something someone is within, uh, is possible for, for folks, that is ideal. That's a really important point. Okay. 
I want to move on to the next bucket of how to engage. And I call this bucket the volunteer bucket. And I think that there are helpful ways to volunteer and maybe less helpful ways to volunteer. What are the kinds of options or opportunities for someone who is ready in that sense? Yes, great question. I I think um, a lot of people want to find ways to plug in and and help out, and that's fantastic. And they want to do more than than just write a check or donate money. And I understand that. I've seen on social media a lot of people talking about opening up their homes and you know being willing to provide lodging to folks who are traveling from out of state. I think that's a commendable amount of generosity. And I also want to flag that, you know, it may not be the preference of someone traveling from far away to go stay with a stranger during such a personal, you know, for such a personal private experience. And they might prefer to be able to stay in a hotel. And that's when actually your donation might make, you know, be more meaningful than than your volunteering. Also, you know, instead of, I mean, I just want to warn against new organizations or groups of people trying to pop up and do this when there are organizations already in place that have systems to vet people to make sure that everyone involved is safe. Um, And so there is an organization called APIARY, A-P-I-A-R-Y, and they, um, they are an umbrella organization of practical support groups. And so you can, you know, we can share that link and folks can check out what the practical support organization is near you. And you can reach out to them to find out if they need volunteers and what they need, because many of those groups and and abortion funds also do have volunteers who drive people to their appointments or, or help them in other ways. But, you know, it's important to first make, you know, look to see whether there's someone already doing this work in your community rather than trying to start a new organization or a new network and to not automatically assume that like what might be the easiest thing for you to do is actually what's needed. I think the other good thing to mention in that regard is that other volunteering opportunities that are maybe not directly related to someone accessing reproductive care are more electoral opportunities. And that's another facet of volunteering that is very helpful, could potentially be less engagement or less time commitment. Um, Say you're canvassing for a weekend or you're calling people on the phone. Those are also very valuable volunteering opportunities that relate to this work, but in a different way. Absolutely. So for instance, in Michigan right now, you know, we talked a little bit about the ballot measure there. The effort at the moment, they're trying to collect enough signatures to qualify for the ballot. The deadline for signature submission is July 11th. So we have just a few more weeks to get that done. And so they absolutely could use people. If you're in Michigan, they could use people to help gather those signatures. And so folks in Michigan can go to myreproductivefreedom.org to sign up and get involved. And certainly after the measure qualifies, and I believe it will qualify for the ballot, they're going to need folks to um, knock on doors and talk to neighbors about why they should be voting, you know, for the measure, educating them about the measure. And then they could probably use volunteers um, to get out the vote in November as well. And in Vermont, certainly they also, 
they're already trying to make sure that folks are going to be coming out to vote in November on the measure in Vermont. And then similarly in Kansas and Kentucky, they're going to need people to talk to folks about why they should vote against the measures there that would take away the right to reproductive freedom in the state constitutions. Lots of opportunities. It seems almost an endless amount of opportunities for people to get involved. The last thing I want to touch on before we say goodbye to you is this important piece, I think, that is often overlooked in wanting to get involved, is the act of talking to your friends and family. We all have family, extended family, family friends, friends, people from our hometowns, people we went to school with, people we work with that may have the same views as us and some that may not have the same views as us. And I think for issues like abortion, it seems that that has long been an issue that is held really close to the chest in a lot of ways, whether that's in sharing your own experience or just in sparking a conversation about it. What would you, how do you, how do you talk about this with people that you know? Well, first of all, that's a great point. I want to say that um, abortion stigma is a big part of how we got here. Um, I think people have internalized a lot of stigma around abortion, and that is why they often avoid the conversation. And that has created a climate where these types of laws have been allowed to pass. And so I, I totally agree that talking with friends and family about abortion, about why it's important and you know, why the right to reproductive freedom is so important to you personally really can make a difference and can shift the way that people do think about the issue and can make them less afraid to make it, you know, to talk about it, to uh, try to hold their elected officials accountable around it, to uh, make sure that the people in their lives who have had an abortion or are going to have an abortion feel supported Um, Most people want someone who's decided to have an abortion to feel supported in that process and in their decision. And often when we talk about abortion as a theoretical thing, you know, we we forget that one in three people who with the capacity to become pregnant have had an abortion in their lifetime. So more often than not, there are people in your it's not a small number and there are people in your life who've had an abortion. And if you don't know it, you might want to think about, you know why that is. And, you know, why, if someone hasn't confided in to you, I mean, people come to me all the time. I know a lot about a lot about my friends' experiences with abortion because I think they feel like I am someone who's safe to talk to because they know that I support people who have abortions for, you know, whatever their reason is. I think it's a human right. I think anytime an abortion is denied, it's a violation of our human rights. And Renee Bracey Sherman of We Testify says everyone loves someone who's had an abortion. And I think that really encapsulates it well. Um, these are people in our lives we love, family members, friends. Uh, 60% of people who've had an abortion are already parents. So, you know, it's it, the, the same person having an abortion and having, you know, and having children. It's often the same person. It just had different points in their life. And so when we stigmatize abortion, we stigmatize the people having abortions. And I think it's really important to push back against that stigma and work to dismantle whatever internalized stigma we might have in ourselves. I think the storytelling aspect is really important. And even if it's not your own story, talking about stories you've seen or heard, talking about 
the realities of who gets an abortion can be really helpful. And I think what we're trying to do on this podcast is really arm people with the information that they need to have these conversations, because I know that they can be intimidating, especially if you don't have all the answers. You know, how to how to convert someone could feel like a really big issue. And that's not what we're trying to do necessarily. I think that's like a high bar, right? That's the other thing. I think people sometimes avoid the conversation because they feel like, oh, well, I'm not going to get anywhere. And it's you don't have to convert someone and you don't have to know all the answers. We do have a toolkit, though, that I'm sure we can share as a follow up to the podcast that does arm you with arguments. But you don't have to be an expert on abortion writ large. You just need to be an expert on why it's important to you and what it means to you and just have that conversation on a one-to-one personal level, people are going to, are more likely to listen to the people in their lives. But I I think that there are certain entry points, um, you know, focusing on shared values, like, you know, no matter how someone else might feel about abortion, hopefully they could agree. They don't think politicians should be making medical personal decisions for us, that we should be able to make those decisions ourselves. You know, we, that we don't think that we think it should be patient's health and not politics that drives medical decisions. I think there's actually a lot of common ground on those types of principles. Um, And you can just start there. And then the last thing I'll say about stigma is that it also not only contributes to the ability of these bans to pass, but the criminalization that is going to follow from these bans already, even when Roe was in place, it was often healthcare providers who would report people to authorities. Stigma gives people permission to judge and makes them think they're the authority and turns healthcare providers into agents of the state calling the police on their patients. And so that is another reason why it's so important to push back on that stigma and really center the people affected by these bans and humanize them and make sure that they are entitled, you know, that they get the same respect and protection of their rights um, as anyone else. Thank you so much for this, Jessica. It's been wonderful to speak with you. Um, I think you've given us a lot to take away from this conversation and to really assess how we individually can be a part of this movement. So thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure to join you today. Thanks for shining a light on all of this work. Thanks so much for listening. We have a long fight ahead of us, but the ACLU was made for moments like this. We want to help you plug in. So we've included all of the links to the organizations and opportunities to get involved or to donate in the show notes. We also want to talk about another opportunity. We're hosting a new abortion activist training. You can RSVP to that training at aclu.org slash abortion activist. That's aclu.org slash abortion activist. Thank you for stepping up and working together with us. Until next week, stay strong.